0: The following podcast is brought to you by The Village Zendo. For more information, visit VillageZendo.org. Being Time Being Time Being Time together. And what a time it's been sharing sounds, sharing space, sharing Silence. Sharing talks, services, work practice, work meetings. Sharing food sharing the, the wood and the stone of this immense place. And the image that came to me about Shen is that it's it's like a scythe and I bet the young folks don't know what a scythe is, <laughs> but it's that image used by father time, it's a sort of a sickle-shaped instrument that was used, probably hasn't been used in 50 years because now we have machines to mow and to cut down, but the scythe was used to cut tall grasses. So it's used, Father Time uses a scythe and it's also used as an image to portray death. And the scythe cuts down these grasses that obscure our view. And lays everything bare, lays bare the beauty that's hidden in plain sight, beauty of the faces, the bodies. the trees, the sounds. The beauty of this being of ours that is, as we chanted this morning, so evanescent So it not only lays bare the beauty, but also the pains we've been carrying, as Miyoko spoke to. Pain that maybe we didn't want to know existed that we were carrying. And in laying it bare, it allows us to meet it. And in meeting it, we find compassion. Compassion for ourselves, and, uh, and, and others. And that's where we find the wholeness that we come seeking, or that we seek in all the places that we do, for someone else to give it to us, to assuage our sense of lack, Our sense of painful sense of separation. So the pain actually becomes the gateway, the portal. Into uh, knowing the truth of who we are. That that though it too seems like it's there forever and stuck as Miyoko said, no, it changes. That's the beauty of doing Session for decades. You can see just (laughs) how it becomes a little bit more refined, a little more porous. And that's, yeah, that's what Session does for us. We see after a week of coming back to basics, Basics of sitting, watching our thoughts, eating, sleeping, chanting, being alone with others for the time being that something profound happens the armor we carry to protect softens and in that softening in that porousness we can allow more in of ourselves and of the world. And through that, the sense of separation, we see what a fiction it is. which, you know, the armor has told us otherwise. And in the also dropping of the armor, we can allow ourselves to experience, to be present for our own experience, what's here now, and now, that awakening of all the senses. And so this is what our beautiful talks have been telling us, how Dogen sees as actualizing being time, how we world the world in each moment by being there. So Dogen questions our understanding of time and says we should entertain more doubts about the conventional understanding that until we investigate, we won't understand our true nature. He says, although you never measure the length or brevity of the 12 hours, which is equivalent to our 24 hours, Japanese, you never measure their length or swiftness or slowness. you still call them the 12 hours. As evidence of their coming and going is obvious, you don't come to doubt them. But even though you don't have doubts about them, that's not to say you know them. So just because we don't entertain doubts about things, because we take them for granted, because we assume, uh, you saying, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> don't assume now the word doubt you know which our shusō spoke so eloquently to this morning is part of the faith doubt great faith doubt and determination these are the the zen virtues for practice so this word doubt you know, it has, it has such a negative valence. You know, we all run from the plague of self-doubt. Um, did I do this right? You know, was the, should I have said that? You know, that sort of stuff that can just wear us down. So it, there's something destabilizing about doubt. And the creative genius, like Keats, called it negative capability. And he sees it or saw it as the requirement for all creativity, saying, This capacity is when man is. Capable of being in uncertainties, mysteries, doubts, without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. It's irritable reaching, because that's what we want. We want the solid ground. We want the facts, just the facts. We are addicted to certainty. Uh, Because otherwise we feel we're in a ball of insecurity and anxiety and we have nowhere to stand. And uh, it's interesting, you know, how filled our lives are with snap judgments, rapid-fire conclusions about ourselves, other people, events. And, And we can be very righteous about the positions we embrace and feel that, My perspective is unassailable. And I see that in myself, even though I have over and over again the experience of being wrong, very wrong, a lot. Uh, Thinking of, I was driving from Lubeck to Bangor Airport going south. And... uh, it was only until I saw the sign that said, "Welcome to Canada." <laughs> that I realized I was driving in the wrong direction for hours uh, without a clue. And you know, even yesterday, I came out of a bathroom stall and to find) uh, a distinctly male, those slim contours of Bokushu next to me, washing his hands <laughs> at the sink. So I thought, hmm. So Garrison has unisex bathrooms. <laughs> Wasn't sure that I was thrilled. And uh, so took a good look at the door when I went outside and saw it said clearly, men's room. (laughs) So, the evidence is plentiful that I get it wrong a lot of the time. And uh, that does not stop me from uh, being opinionated about this, that, and the other thing, and feeling I have it right. And I'm not the only one. I think I'm not alone in this. Uh, I think the more uncertainty, uh, Rio mentioned this too yesterday, Uh, There is, in our world, the more we cling to our tribes, you know, be they ethnic, religious, national, to reinforce our perspective. You know, and we bury deep into our own silos and only listen to the social feeds that reinforce our perspective. So, how do we practice this doubt? How do we allow space for, hmm, huh, maybe there is, but even space for ambiguity. Um, Korzen has always been very clear that knowledge has nothing to do with truth. fact, gets in the way. There's the wonderful story of Tokusan, who was the commentarist on the Diamond Sutra, renowned. And he heard that there was a a sect, some heretical Zen sect in the South that entertained views that a direct perception of reality without reliance on words, letters, was where it was at. So he determined to go down and sort of sort these heretics out. And along the way, he had a a dharma exchange with a woman selling rice cakes. That was unsettling, to say the least. (laughs) And he found himself as end master in the neighborhood, just to clarify things. They spoke for hours. It was getting late. And... Zen master is showing him to the door and hands him a candle, a lit candle, so to light his way. Tōkusan reaches out to take the candle, and the master blows it out, and uh, Tōkusan is left pitch dark. And uh, that was his awakening. Zen Master took what he was holding on to, his very identity, took it away. And uh Tokusan, I think, went on to burn his sutras and things. But so again, the question: how do we practice? with this letting go, Um, and especially when you don't have a Zen master at your side to enlighten you. Well, in the absence of a Zen master, there's always YouTube. (laughs) And there's a creator there I follow, also very knowledgeable in his field, He's a composer with a Ph.D. from the London School of Music. He's written operas and pieces that have been performed in Carnegie Hall. And he teaches composition, has a following among young composers. Smart guy. Very creative. And in one of his posts, he asks whether it's worth listening to Ludovico Enaudo, Enaudi. Jifu smiles, she gets the transmission. Um, Jifu treated us to a concert of Enaudi's uh, in the Arctic. It's very beautiful. So Enaudi just happens to be the most popular contemporary composer, classically trained also, and, but has picked up some other elements he uses and uh, sold out concerts, loved by especially young people. So my friend here, David Bruce, he's asking why this is. He personally finds Enaudi's music singularly uninteresting, (laughs) and he's genuinely perplexed by it has millions of downloads. He he doesn't quite so far go, and he doesn't go as far as to say he hates Enaudi, but he does say that and Naughty's music triggers sensations in him that he says that makes him want to avoid listening. <laughs> now, to his credit, he, he wonders whether jealousy and snobbery might be an element here, and so he sets himself the challenge of listening to nothing but an naughty for a week, <laughs> and then sharing his observations, his notes. And this is what he does. He marks off the calendar each day. We see images of him in his studio, listening in his car, in walking in the woods, and then he'll say, well, yeah, I grant, you know, when he plays the solo piano, there's a warmth, but mo- he's, let me, he starts off by laying down his preconditions for what kind of music he likes. He feels that music should command his attention, draw him in, with, you know, the qualities of um, the, the rhythm or the tone or the Color it evokes, or the harmonies or the patterns the story tells, the emotions it evokes. And he says, You know, the thing with a the naughty, there's none of this. He says, It's all of one tone. You know, a tone he concedes that evokes peace and calm, but in him, it evokes in our, a, 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 a kind of a, an agoraphobia. So here he's ticking off the days, he's listening, and uh, in addition to not telling a story, Audi, he says, just gives fragments of melodies that don't go anywhere. Uh, And he wonders about that. Why is this man not putting more of himself into his music? Why is he not, why is he holding back? Why these silences? He also uses very simple chords and mostly the white notes, you know, which this man with his very sophisticated (laughs) knowledge of librettos and God knows what else finds simplistic. So then he does further research, and he comes upon this writer who has written several books, listening only to an Audi. (laughs) And uh, this writer says she loves or appreciates the music precisely because it doesn't manipulate the listener into feeling a certain way. She says, it rather opens doors for people to walk through to find their own stories. So he's beginning to get a sense that there might be more ways of listening to music than he had thought. And in the end, he tries to compose a piece in... An Audi's style, and you know he's there. You know he shows us the score and plays it for us, and admits that actually he found it harder than he thought to get the pacing and to include, particularly the elements of silence that he now realizes is intentional with An Audi. And he ends by saying, he's not entirely won over, but he ends by saying, you know, there might be something there for him to cultivate a little more of in his own music. I was personally very moved by this man's willingness to engage something that he actually found aversive that everything in him wanted to dismiss and uh, reject. And that whatever it was in him, spark of curiosity, that was enough to combat in him the feelings of, you know, uh, contempt so this question of doubt doubting the turf that we defend because basically when it comes down to it the sense of self and my opinions are really this this turf that I feel you know my values, my tastes, my preferences um I would like to be able to do what he did, to be able to decenter for a moment and allow that someone else's viewpoint has its own place or has come to be from the conditions that were pertinent or relevant to them and to be a little more curious about what those conditions might be. I would like us to end with a listening exercise and we will had a chance, thanks to Concho, Concho's thoughtful preparation. We'll hear an audi. Um, and Concho prepared it so that it would, because in this vast space, it's no easy task. So you know, bear with the limitations of the context. And we will use an uh, an exercise by Hakuen Um, 8th century, 12th century, I forget. (laughs) Uh, On doubt, on working with doubt. And he does. As we've been realizing all week, he used sound. You see, sound as the, the portal through which we ask ourselves this question that Rio asked yesterday. Who hears? Who is listening? Hakkun says, you know, we think it's our ears, the holes in our ears. Uh Uh-uh. I'll read what he says. He says, the method to be practiced is as follows. You are to doubt regarding the subject in you that hears all sounds. All sounds are heard at a given moment because there is certainly a subject in you that hears. Although you may hear the sounds with your ears, the holes in your ears are not the subject that hears. If they were, dead men would also hear sounds. You must doubt deeply, again and again, asking yourself what the subject of hearing could be. Meaning who's hearing, what's hearing. Pay no attention to the various illusory thoughts that may occur to you Only doubt more and more deeply, gathering together in yourself all the strength that's in you without aiming at anything or expecting anything in advance, without intending to be enlightened and without intending not to intend to be enlightened. Become like a child within your own breast. However you go on doubting, you will find it impossible to locate the subject that hears. this piece is experience from the album Time Lapse